Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I am trying my best, and I'm going to be honest and straightforward. I am wrestling. The youth are dismissed ages 12 to 18 years old. The youth are dismissed ages 12 to 18. And while they're walking out, at least let me try my best to preface what we're doing and how we're doing it. This is our closing sermon on giving, but this approach is a little bit different, and I'll be totally honest and transparent with you. Um, It's going to take some time that I don't have. So what I'm going to challenge you to do is be Bereans today in the Word of God, meaning I'm going to challenge you to take this Word home, look at the notes online, and try to study it accordingly. The notes are thick for a reason, so don't think that just because I may not be able to complete this Word doesn't necessarily mean that you can't complete this Word, because the Holy Spirit can speak to you and through you through His Word just as powerfully as He can hopefully today. Is everybody all right with that? Well, let's pray together, get right into it. It's going to get deep and it's going to go fast. Dearly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity for us to be in your word. God, you are a good God. You're an awesome God, a God who deserves our praise, a God who deserves for us to give you everything we have. So God, I pray for our hearts right now that even in the midst of talking about something that is very hard to do and has become a stigma in our church, that we are open to what your word says about it, not what Pierre Canning says about it, that we're open about how you are speaking to the church of Corinth at this moment through the apostle Paul and how you have led us to be able to study, to understand the beauty of the word of God. So God, before I even try to open my mouth, purify it, that everything that proceeds and flows from my heart is pure, that it's not deceitfully wicked that comes out. Everything needs to give you glory to get today. God, I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, here's the kicker. How many of you have been disappointed when you opened up something that you paid money for? Okay, good. So, we're already on the same page, and I'll give you one bleeding example. Doritos. You know where I'm going. Is that some of us have dropped like $3 into a Doritos bag, open it up only to find out it's half full. You were hungry too, salivating. You were ready for your things that shouldn't be eaten, all those things, you are ready for all of those saturated fats. And you open it up and and the dust just flies in your face. You, You start digging and all of a sudden you realize your hand is halfway into the bag before it hits a chip. And that's exactly who we think God is. We think when we give God something, he's coming back half full. That some of us think when I give, God is not doing and supplying your needs. That God is not going to come back and he's not going to be full. That we honestly think that God, when we give tithes and offering, we open the bag and God is like, I'm half full. But that is not God. Because if you gave accordingly, if you gave according to what was worth, then you should be also be able to receive more than what God can give. Or excuse me, only what God can give, which is more than enough. Now, be, be careful before I dive into this word of Doritos bags. Be, be careful before I dive into this word today that you don't sit here and I preach a sermon where you're like, man, if I just give, God is going to give me. And we start preaching this message that you're going to walk out and have a Bentley. All right. Before we even get into this word that you think is about giving, that it, it can be manipulated to be what? If you give to living word, you'll walk out and ever, all of your finances will be fixed. All your student loans are going to be forgiven. 
That is not the message of today, but if you were to check out the background of the message, and I know I may take my time, that's why I told you that this would be a little difficult and maybe a little harder to swallow, not as filled with as many jokes, but I want you to gather the background. There's two churches at play. Third, that's being referenced. You need to know every single church in the background to know what's happening. Who is Paul talking to? That's the first thing you should be asking. What is he asking them to do and who are they asking them to send to? This is a supply chain you need to know about. But the first thing you need to know about the supply chain is who's the demander. Now, this is a critical part of the message that the Jerusalem church is the one that is being asked to give to. They are the recipient. They need the demand. They are asking for help. Our Paul is saying, hey, our church in Jerusalem needs help. They are struggling, watch these words, with poverty. They are destitute. They need money. They need us to send something. Then he goes into chapter 8 and he says the Macedonian church has already guaranteed, even though they are suffering financially, have already guaranteed that they're going to give and they have already done it and they're doing a good job of giving even when they are struggling themselves. So let's start there in chapter 8. Many of us have found reason why not to give. One, Jerusalem was not close, nor were they. They were Jews not Gentiles. So here's the kicker, is that if somebody has treated you bad all this time, why would you want to gather your money and give to them? Oh, because the gospel is going to come into play a little bit later in this passage, and you're going to realize the beauty of this text, because this text gets deep and it gets beautiful. Because watch here, so he says, the Macedonian church has already done it, even though they don't have everything you got. So some of us have come up with the saying, saying, man, you know what, Pierre, it just ain't my season to give because I'm struggling myself. And God, is that, that is even more reason for you to give to somebody that's worse off than you. Some of us are waiting till we have the savings account and we're not under our own affliction before we help and bless somebody else. And God is like, hey, Paul is writing to you and say, hey, Macedonian church, they're already doing it, Church of Corinth. But then he gets to the church of Corinth. Now, the church of Corinth had some different influences going on in the culture. You want to understand this. The reason why he's writing chapter 8 and chapter 9, and it seems repetitive, is because chapter 8, he's challenging them to give. Chapter 9, he follows up with it. Now, why would he follow up with pretty much the same message? That's what you should be asking yourself. He's following up with the same message because of two or three reasons. One, the first reason that is beautiful is simple is that the church of Corinth was struggling to follow up on the project to collect, to give. They had become complacent and lacked diligence in the ability to make sure that they followed through on their giving. Now, this is what usually happens in church, right? We get excited. We understand the biblical concept of giving. Many of us, the month increases, and then what happens? It fades. Because what happens over time, just similar to the church of Corinth, is that we get excited when we're challenged and we know the biblical principle of what we're being challenged on. We understand the, the, the life and the breadth of the living word of God and how it applies to your life. And many of us get activated and then we give and then we stop because something else comes over or we get more problems or we have more issues in our finances. In the church of Corinth, Paul had to repeat the message and say, Still keep coming. We need to collect. We need to send it to the church. Third reason is Greco-Roman culture. Now, this, this one is absolutely beautiful. This Greco-Roman culture was that when I give, I should be blessed not only materialistically, but I should get the credit. So therefore, if I give to someone else, I want them to know I gave. I want them to know that I'm the giver. But you'll find out later on in the passage, Paul starts to address that when you give, this is about your obedience, not about your credit. 
It's like a church who sits the people in the front row who give the most. It's like the church who allocates people who are the givers and gives them special treatment that they're like, hey, give me the credit for what I've done. And God's like, there's no credit in your obedience. It's going somewhere. The third thing is that they wanted over, they wanted to not only get the credit, but they wanted influence. They're saying if we give, then we have influence over the church. And Paul's like, if it's the universal church, that means you have no influence. You're just doing what the universal church should do. If we all believe in the same God, that means none of those reasons will matter. You just need to give because it's our obligation to do a free will offering. And if somebody else is struggling and they're poorer than us, then we need to give. And if Macedonia can do it, so can you. So here's the beauty and the question that you should be asking yourself is, which church are we? Are we Macedonia? Fine. If we're Church of Corinth, fine. Are we the Church of Jerusalem? Fine. But what happened to the universal church, and why is the universal church no longer acting like it? Why are we only singularly focused? Why do we only do what benefits our churches? Why are we saying only what helps Living Word, only what helps this church in this area, only what helps us? And guess what? That even goes to individuals within the church. If it don't bless you, you won't contribute. So churches, I've been in meetings, in group, and sat at tables where, guess what? The churches are asking, well, what church is going to be at? Who's going to hold it? Who, how do I know? Can I have my sign up? Can I have a table? And what are they saying? If it doesn't benefit me, we out. And then some of us are sitting in the sanctuary saying, I don't know how this offering is benefiting me. I don't, I don't, what does it do for me? Like, what credit do I get? Do I get the special seat? Because I want the special seat. I want the little brick on the bottom of paved walls where you can see my name. It says, I gave. You want the little sticker on the back so we hope you don't get tickets that has $100 so you can know the cops don't pull you over. You want that for God. You're saying, God, don't pull me over with my sin because I gave this week. And God's like, there's no special favors on your back window. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. I'll be seeing my friends have it. I'm going to try it one day. Yeah, because I'll be speeding. So now that you have the background, now that you understand what's going on and who he's writing to, then watch what he says. And I want you to pick up in verse 10 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians and watch what he's saying in verse 10. He says, now he who supplies. The first thing you should say is, oh, we talked about the demanders and we talk about the people contributing in our supply chain, but now let's talk about who's the supplier. Now here's the tricky part. Some of us don't give because we don't believe in the supplier in the first place. It's going to come down to a faith issue when we get down to the bottom of it. It's going to come down to your obedience, and obedience is caused by your faith. So the question I have for you today is, do you believe in your supplier? You know how I know many of us believe in suppliers? Because we believe in Amazon. <laughs> Don't tell me I'm lying. Many of us, when it says today, it better be here at two-day shipping. Some of us that ain't working right now, we'd be at our window. It said between five and eight. We believe in the supplier. We believe Amazon has everything it has online. How many of you have ever clicked on the button and be like, eh? No, everybody's clicked on it and says, it's coming. And some of us be trying, like we be trying to, you know, manipulate some things. Some of us don't, you know. But if you go to Facebook Marketplace, totally different story. We like, I don't know. It seems a little shady to me. <laughs> Let's meet at a public place. Well lit, gas station. You park your car right under the camera. <laughs> 
But some of us treat God like a gas station and Facebook marketplace. We don't believe in the supplier. We parking under secure spots, making sure our savings accounts look right before we do what he says. We parking under the camera so we can make sure that God can see us in the public spot. And God's like, but how come you don't treat me like Amazon where you click a button and walk away? Where you freely do it because you recognize a two-day means two-day. That some of us don't believe in the supplier. Some of us don't believe that what he says in his word, he going to do. So therefore, we hoard our money, just like the church of Corinth was starting to struggle with. Should we hoard it for ourselves? We don't even get down with the Jews like that. Why in the world would we give to them? Some of us are looking at our missions money that goes out every month like, yo, 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 Africa don't affect me. I got my own bills. And God is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you believe that if you give, I'm the supplier, then why would you be worried about who to, when your money coming back? Oh, but well, let's, let's talk about it for a second. He says three things in this little passage that I want you to understand. And I hope you gather this supplier is that not only, watch these words, he supplies the seed to the sower. And I'll be, get down to that. Then he's the one not only that supplies, but he multiplies and increases. So those three words we're going to highlight, but let's pick up on every single word just for your edification. He says this, I supply, that means I fill up and I replenish. So it's not just like, hey, I supply means you ain't broke. He's saying, I fill it back up. Whatever you give, I give back. So whatever you think you lost is not your loss because I'm the one who gives back. So therefore, you're never empty. Can I say this just about emotional draining people? How many of y'all question whether you should help somebody because all they do is take from you? How many of you have stopped helping people? I know we're talking about emotions and accountability and people in the church. and all. So I know it's a little sidestep to my sermon, but bear with me. How many of us roll our eyes when that individual calls? Because we know you're going to ask how I'm doing, and then you're going to tell me what you need. And the precursor to you telling me what you need is you asking how I'm doing. So you just do this. Hey, girl, just checking on you. How you doing? Good. And then you just pause, waiting for them to do what? Tell you what you need. You know why some of us don't want to give no more? It's because we keep thinking the fill-up comes from that person. We keep thinking that the, the reason why I'm not going to give to this person no more, the reason why I'm not going to be there for people no more, is because they keep taking from me. But God is saying, what you give, I refill. The issue is that if you keep doing it from your own strength and will and your own bank, then sooner or later you're going to be empty because you are never doing it out of God's bank. And some of us are tired and fatigued as we came into church because you keep doing things on your own fruition, your own strength, and your own abilities. But if you say, God, I'm going to keep giving because I know you're the one who gives back, do you believe he's the only one who could fill you up? Do you believe that when you, just like you go to the gas station, how many of y'all go to the gas station, if it don't got a bag on it, you expect gas to come out? Am I tripping? You don't even see where the gas is coming from. How many of y'all are like, man, let me see the gas underneath. Open it up. We don't do none of that. Some of us are even cocky. We just get there, swipe our car, leave it in, withdraw it when it tells you withdraw it. We just take the pump out, don't even look, spraying gas everywhere, put it in our thing, and then what do we do? We turn it on and get angry when it double clicks on us. When it goes click, click, you hate it. Or how many of us get angry when we have to go inside and talk to the person? Because we spoil, we're like, this thing don't work. 
Some of us knew the next pump just so we don't have to go inside. It's the same distance. <laughs> See, I know I'm talking to some people here that are just as impatient as me. Why? Because we expect when I pull the pump, the gas going to go into my, and we'll get in the car, and what do we do? First thing, press our button, turn our key, and we look straight at the gas meter. And what do we say? I already know it's filled up because I already pumped it. Some of us don't even hold the pump no more. We just click it into the spot, go sit down, get back on our phones. I wish we treated God like that. Like, God, I know you're the one that's going to fill me up, so I'm going to sit down, get back on my phone. See, I wish that some of us treated God the same way, where we're like, God, you're the filler, you're the supplier. So therefore, I don't mind pouring out. I don't mind driving at my own expense. I don't mind doing the service of God. I don't mind giving a little bit more because you're the only one who has something in the reservoir that I can't even see. So since I have faith, even in what I can't see, I'm going to keep pouring out and keep coming to the tank to get filled back up. He's the refiller, but he's refiller, watch these words, to the sower. Oh, there's a difference between he's a filler to the person. But he gives you what? What you're supposed to be. You know the last thing I checked about a sower? Is a sower has to throw seed. You're like, Peter, that was the easiest definition you ever give us in the Greek. I'm not going to even go deep with the word sower. Why? Because the last time I checked is a sower has to have something. The sower has to have a what? A seed. But what is he saying? I give the seed to the sower. So the only thing you can throw is what I give you. <laughs> so stop throwing your own stuff. And that's number one. Some of us throw only what we think we have enough to throw. Some of us give after we spend. But let me get off the giving because who wants to be uncomfortable in church, right? The sower also has to do work. So, of course, a lazy Christian ain't going to give away because that means he has to, she has to get up and do something. And have you ever envisioned what it meant in the agricultural society, what it meant to be a sower? Is that you had to walk. And I know you've seen the machines nowadays where they dump it in. They have machines. They just drive their tractors and it pours it into the slots. They don't need to get out. But back in the day, they would have to walk, dig in, pick up the seeds, and shuffle it out and shuffle it out, and have faith, and shuffle it out. What God is saying is that where I send you, you will go, and I need you to throw the seed that I give you. But the only person who can give you seed to throw is me. You don't have seed by yourself. So I guess what I'm fixing to tell you when he's talking about the church of Corinth, what is he saying? Church of Corinth, you don't even have money to give to the church of Jerusalem if I didn't give you the seed in the first place. So how are you going to hold on to something tight if I'm the only one who gave you the seed in the first place? You're holding on to something I provided. So therefore, I look at the church now and I say, Living Word Fellowship Church, when is the last time we gave because we're giving from the seed he supplies? So stop looking at your giving like a favor. Start looking at like you're giving back to people in poverty and situations of people that ain't like you so that you can do what? The work of a sower. The number one question when we give people money is when you're going to give it back. And we already know on our bucket, no, not a bucket list, on our list of people that you don't give to, and some of us have even designated people we're going to give, but we know we ain't getting it back. And some of us do the same thing with giving. We only give if it comes back. But God is like, I have so many more ways to replenish you. I am not limited to how you define a seed. 
Because I'm fixing to talk about that even in this text, he's not talking about filling up your bank accounts again. He's talking about filling you up for the work of Christ, your service and your obedience to Christ. He's talking about how much more he can do just other than fill back up the church financially. He's talking about that as well, but it's a multitude of fill. I wonder if some of us are tired of our Christianity, fatigued with our growth, only because we're not sowers at all. We're absorbers. We're hoarders of our faith. You come to a church who's going to give you the Word of God. You get fed. You go home. You get fat. And God is like, the reason why is because you're not throwing seed. You keep eating it. He supplies the seed to the sower. That God in His abundant resources, He's the one that gives you the provision in order to give. I wonder what a church would look like if churches all over the city of Houston started to give to each other. You wonder how many churches would actually die. Have you ever thought about that? If there was a smaller church that living where it said, here's some money so y'all don't die. But you know what churches do? No, no, no. These are my members. These are my tithers. These are my people. We can't even combine services. We can't even combine worship. We are too separated from Jew and Gentile. We are too ethnically different. We are too culturally different. We cannot share anything. The gospel is not bigger than what our separations are. Now, I'm going to get there. That's why I said I needed to finish today because when the gospel comes forth, you're going to see the beauty of this text. Because you're going to be like, Peter, how in the world does gospel have to do with giving? And it's going to make sense. Not only does he say he supplied the sower with the seed, then he says a bread for food. So what you eat, I give. This is important, that even to the bare minimum, the bare bones of what many of us go in the drive-thru and pick up, he's saying, I'm the supplier of that too. So Chick-fil-A is not your supplier. McDonald's, for some who are gifted in, in, in intaking food that is not real, that, those quarter pounders that we know are not real meat, that stuff. You're like, thank you, McDonald's, even when they don't say thank you back, right? They'd be the most rudest drive through in the world. But God's work and service through Chick-fil-A is amazing. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah, you got it right. It is your pleasure. Give me a number one, no pickles. Pepper jack cheese with a large fry. And don't forget to throw in the sun joy because the joy comes from the Lord. I'm just joking. All right. But Chick-fil-A is not my supplier. Only God is. So the food that many of us intake, the food that many of us think, some of us are even bougie now. You vegan, pescatarian. I don't eat that. You should see certain people in my life when I go to restaurants with them. Excuse me, is this gluten-free? <laughs> my behind over here like, man, just, hey, is, is it good? <laughs> That's all I ask. But we started to think that somehow we are the supplier, that when we drop the check and we get our credit card and we get our debit card, we are the supplier of our own food. God is saying that even the farmer's needs for sowing and eating are all mine. He takes that from Isaiah 55 verse 2 and Hosea 10 verse 12. He's trying to get them to understand that God is the only one who puts food in your mouth. So if he takes these scriptures and Paul is applying it to the church today, he's saying, go to the Old Testament. He's, God is saying the same thing back then. In Isaiah 55, 12, he's saying, I'm your supplier of food. So he's talking to a different group of people. 
a different group of people who were desperate to get manna from heaven that remember what manna looks like, that remember that manna had to fall from heaven in order for them to eat. But the problem when you get spoiled in America is you forget that sometimes that God is still doing your manna type deliveries even while you go into the grocery store. See, what we forget is because we have access to food. We're not in Africa where people have to what? Hunt for their food, possibly, not saying all of Africa, that people have to get their fish. They have to take care of all these things. And they're saying, I know that I need God in order for rain to fall for my crops to grow. But because we're spoiled in Christianity, because we live in a first world country, we start doing things like, ah, he's not the food supplier. But let there be a drought in a certain area. Y'all saw eggs go up. Eggs were like diamonds. Baby, you want an egg? You want an egg for our anniversary? <laughs> we remember quick that God was the supplier of food. But then he says this. He says, I'm the multiplier. He says, not only am I the seed to the sower, I'm the bread for the food. I will supply, watch these words, and multiply your seed. So even what you throw, I can multiply it. So you're throwing what he gives, but he's saying I can multiply that too. Now, if you don't believe in God being the multiplier, let's go to the feeding of 5,000. Can we use that story for a second? How much did he have? Yeah, everybody's like, two, five, six, 17. <laughs> he didn't have a lot. How Y'all want to summarize it for those who are struggling right now? But he took the little and he multiplied it to feed those, watch these words, who were hungry. You notice what he's still talking about. I don't want to make you think that this passage is only about you getting a multiplication for yourself. He's saying, I multiply the things that you need so you can give it away. So therefore, I'll multiply the church of Corinth so they can help the church of Jerusalem. The problem is what if the church of Corinth takes the multiplication and does nothing with it? See, I love Living Word Fellowship Church because the pastor would tell you the story, and it takes a little long, but I'll be quicker with the summary. Before we even had a building, we were giving to missionaries because they're doing the work. They needed the seed. Before we even had a building, before we even built, 10% was already being sent out, plus some. Now we're over the amount of 10% that we send out into the world because a church that gives, God multiplies. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about he multiplies the work in what he wants to do. You're missing the point. It's not talking about living word becoming rich. Y'all already know we're not rich. You come to the business meeting, all 10 of y'all. <laughs> but since you already know that, then how in the world are we doing all the work at the outreach center? How in the world are we trying to do a school? How in the world do you see missionaries being sent out? How in the world are we going to Guyana and Ghana? but you already see the budget. What is God saying? I'm the supplier even if you can't see the seed. I'm the one who multiplies and sends the missionaries even when you don't got the money. The problem is when money starts to dictate what you do. Ah, this is me. This is a Pierre problem. This is a transparent moment. This, I allow God to dictate my service. I, excuse me, I allow money to dictate my service. If I can't see it, I ain't going to do it. And many of us give the same way. If I can't see it, I'm not going to give it. How can I give from something I don't see? 
but it gets better. It's not only he's the one that increases your number. He says, hey, I will increase the things so you can distribute to the needy. If you look at the seed, it's not just what's in your hand. He's saying the storehouse that holds your seed. So when he's talking about the multiplication of the seed, he's saying, I will put seed in your storehouse. Oh, you got to get this one. You see how at first he was throwing it, and now he's storing it. Oh, you got to understand the Greek and understand the beauty. He's saying, hey, the sower throws, but when I multiply the seed, you have storage so that when the needy come, you can give it. Not so you can hoard it. So your 401, 659, 529, saving plans, do your thing. Be smart with your money. Make sure you invest. But don't forget that you were blessed to be a blessing. Now, we can make this all about living word tithes and offering and free will giving, which what he's talking about right now. I want to make sure you get this. They were already doing what was right. They were still, we believe, tithing at the moment, depending on your definition. Now he's asking for a free will offering to Jerusalem. So he's saying, hey, give freely to the project of collection so that the church of Jerusalem doesn't struggle. But I wanted to make sure you understood this. He says, you will be, everybody loves this text. This is what preachers try to go off and spin and throw their jacket on you. It says, you will be enriched. Ready? This is in everything. Y'all know I can't hoop. I can't holler. I can't even dance. But because I, I, it don't take a dance for you to understand what he's trying to say. Is he saying, in everything, that means the car is mine, the house is mine, the condo is mine. Absolutely not. Some of y'all are clapping like, yeah, no. <laughs> Pierre, start hooping. This is it. This is what I want. No, no. It's not what he's saying. He's saying my storehouses are not limited to money. So when I enrich you, I enrich you with everything. I enrich you for every good work that you're going to do. So therefore, I fill up your tank, not just with money in a storehouse for your seeds, but I enrich you so that you can be a blessing to somebody else. That means I give you grace in your mistakes. That means I consistently supply the strength so you can be in service. I open up opportunities to you to be missional. I open up opportunities for you to be on your job. So some of us have walked on our jobs and say, look at my promotion. And God's saying, no, look at me give you a platform to be a witness. See, you saw your promotion all wrong. You thought it was about your blessing and finance. Because now you can have your vision board. Now you can buy the BMW. And God's like, I didn't give you that for that. I didn't enrich you so you can, get, you can act, a, act rich, that your, your belt now reflects your fake wealth. You know I got a problem with the belt thing. That's not why I made you rich. I made you rich so somebody wouldn't be in your own family struggling with something. The same cousin you complain about. The same auntie that always needs something. Just maybe the grace of God, by you giving them and explaining the gospel to them, maybe they'll understand the beauty of who he is. Mm. He says, I'm the source, but let's move on. He says that I will enrich everything for all liberality. Now, everybody likes this text when it says enriching for liberality. And everybody's like, oh, that means he gives freely. Oh, true. It's true that he gives freely in everything with sincerity. But the word doesn't necessarily mean liberality. He's saying, I give without an agenda. 
So what is he telling them? You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That means now you're so enriched by me, you can give to somebody without an agenda. So you can give and I ask when it's coming back and give them a timeline to give it back to you. You can give with all what? Sincerity. How do I know that? Go back up a couple verses and what do he say? Don't give grudgingly. Don't give and be like, man, it's tithes and offering time. Don't give and be like, man, I got to help my cousin again. No, he's saying, I enrich you so much that you can give, walk away and be like, whatever they do with it, they got to do it. I trust it. And my heart was pure. Yours may not be, but I'm okay with it. I want to make sure we finished, but I have to go back. And usually in a sermon, I'm not, I'm not the person who goes back, but I missed a beautiful portion of text. So excuse me, but I'm not going to apologize for giving you the whole word. You ready? Just go back up with me. Multiplying your seed for sowing, increase the harvest of your, watch these words, righteousness. This is going to help prove my point that I just said. So yes, I'm going back and y'all can say Pierre wasn't the perfect preacher today. It's fine. But you have to see the righteousness part because when we get to the end, it's going to make sense. It's going to tie together. Did he say increasing your seed for your money and your harvest is plentiful for your storehouse? He's saying, I give you the harvest so you can be righteous. You got to hear this. I give you what you've been blessed with so that you multiply the actions of your righteousness. Have you ever thought that your marriage doesn't have as many problems as somebody else so you can bless somebody else's marriage? That you can be there for another wife? That you can be there for another husband? Have you ever thought the reason why your family is healthy and your kids are doing pretty well for themselves, that you can maybe go and foster somebody else or maybe invite somebody to your house and open up your table? Have you ever thought that the resources that God gave you is because he wants, he's calling you to more righteous acts? He's blessing you to be more righteous. He's increasing the acts of righteousness by freeing you up from the problem. But you know what's funny about us is that we'll make up another problem. If I'm honest, that's me. We're blessed. My wife and I's marriage is blessed. Our kids are blessed. We are thankful for where we are. But we'll always find another problem. A washer went out. And it did. Monica over there struggling while I'm at work talking about, I emptied out six times. I was like, baby, we don't want to buy another one. No, watch this next bucket. I'm like, no, baby, we got to buy another one. And guess what I said? I'm going to be honest with you. I have an emergency Dave Ramsey savings plan. And because I'm so blessed, it had all $500 in there. (laughs) Maybe too personal, but it's for real. So I was like, babe, look, there's nothing we can do. And Monica's in there trying to fix it. That's what I love about my wife. She's always trying to fix something so we don't have to spend money. I love her. Baby, but stop. <laughs> and here's the second thing about my wife, I'm going to be honest. Then she'll be like, I couldn't fix it. What do you think? <laughs> I am a Cannings. We don't know how to fix anything. <laughs> what are you doing? Have you seen my dad? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> No, we don't. (laughs) But watch what I mean by God fixing the problem that we make. So now I'm complaining that I got $500. So Monica starts to look up washing machines, and I'm already nervous. Not that she's looking at expensive ones, just the fact them jokers are expensive. Inflation is real. So I was like, baby, we finna go to Scratch and Dent. (laughs) 
I said, look at God. Best Buy opened up a scratch and dent center. I said, oh, shucks. I went shopping for real like I had money. I was like, not that one. <laughs> nope. Too many dents for me. <laughs> Y'all think I'm playing? <laughs> I got bougie at the outlet center, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But I ain't gonna lie, I had to jeopardize my standards. I saw this big dent in one. I'm talking about massive dent. And I asked, I asked my dude, I was like, hey, I was this guy that was helping me. I said, like, hey, would you take this one? And he was like, man, all you gotta do is open it up, pop the other dent out, open up, pop that dent out. I was like, that's a canning type fix. <laughs> I said, how much? He was like, man, I'll give this to you for $4.50 if you take it. I said, God, look at your work. So I went to the counter confident. You know why? Because I had my Dave Ramsey emergency savings plan. <laughs> See, I could have made it a problem. But God has already made it a blessing. The problem is, so some of us will keep it as a problem. Yeah, I'm emptied out. But my washer ain't broke. And that Denton joker, that, that, that the thing that was super dented, working. We 20 loads in now. <laughs> and he does that. So I have no other problem so I can continue in my righteousness. I gave you a harvest of righteousness. Go do your job. And it, it, it surprises, it should surprise every church that we have an 80-20 policy in a church where 20% of the people are doing 100% of the work. When everyone here is making problems, that the reason and excuses for our lack of service of righteousness. That we're sitting there, oh, it's too busy today. It rained today. I got, I got my own problems today. And God's like, no, I gave you limited problems. I never said there's going to be no problems. So sometimes the limited problems are only so you could be a blessing to somebody else. But let me move so I can finish this because I told you I would. He says, watch these words. It says, the producing, the thanksgiving to God. This is where he shifts. So first he says, I'll supply and multiply. And then he shifts gears. And he says, so that it can be a thanksgiving to God. And I want you to get this last point before I conclude, because this last point concludes everything. What is he saying? I want you. I will supply you so that you can be a blessing. You got that first point. Great. Second point, he's saying, so that we can all give thanks to God. You notice what he said? What is he eliminating? Remember I told you that the church of Corinth wanted credit? He's saying, no, 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 church. This is not so they can give you thanks. This is not so the church of Jerusalem can turn around and say, hey, thanks, your friend. No, it's so that God can get thanks. Your generosity is a reflection of people being able to give God thanks. Our mission trips to Africa is not so we can say, oh, look at living word going to Africa. We're doing it so that people can say, look at God sending people to Africa to do the work of God. We're supposed to be able to say when people see the generosity of Christians between churches, between each other, and between individuals, we're supposed to be able to say, man, thank the Lord. But your purpose for giving is not so people can thank you. Your purpose for your generosity is not so people can say, man, that's a great giver. The purpose of your generosity is so people will look at the service unto the church and say, wow, wow, give thanks to God. It'll make sense. He says, because the proof giving 
Nah, I don't have time for the word overflowing, but I just want you to understand that it's going to repeat itself here. We're going right back to Thanksgiving. And it says, because of the proof given, watch these words, by the ministry. This is the second time he's used the word ministry. Above that, he says the ministry of his ser- this service. This collection is a service. You get where he's going. This is a different type of service. Most of the times when I say the word service, what do people think of? Using their hands and feet to serve God. What is he saying to the church of Corinth? What you're fixing to do in collection for Jerusalem is a service unto God. So even the giving portion of church, which we, wanna, we don't want to pay attention to, and we zone out online and we fast forward, even the stuff that we do, God is like, no, 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 your giving is a service. If the church is doing what we, I believe, at Living Word are healthily doing, giving it away. Because of the proof, but this word proof means something. How in the world... I know I'm trying to get there. How in the world would he use the word proof when it comes to giving? Now, you got to remember the dynamics now. This is where I told you the background brings it all together. When the Jerusalem church gets the gift, it's proof that the gospel is larger than the difference. That their collection even though they were disregarded and pushed away, their collection and the church being able to say, wow, the church of Corinth sent us this? Not so they can say thanks. It's the proof that the gospel is what it is. Oh, it's going to get good. He says this. He says, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God. I want you to understand something. When you are generous, it's not so they glorify you. When you are generous, it's so people glorify God. It's so people say, wow, God, a way out of no way. That's why I love our benevolence fund here. It's because in consistency, we give away. Saying, hey, I need a washing machine, man. I can't wash my clothes. And the church has been faithful and doing the best they can with the limited resources to give it back away. Why? Because we want people to say, God, to, go, to be the glory. Not so people are like, man, Living Word is the best church around, man. One time I was broken, they gave me $500. That's not what we want. What you want is the people walk around saying, when I had nothing, the church was the church. No matter the name on the church, the church was the church. That's a beautiful thing, the Benevolence Fund. It's a beautiful thing about Africa. It's a beautiful thing that we support missionaries in Haiti and all over the world. That is a beautiful thing. But what happens if people in the church, somebody needs a job, and somebody says, hey, I just want y'all to know my job is hiring. When the community becomes the community, too. Like, hear me out. I think the church is a failure of the community. We reflect our community. Stay in my house. Don't talk to my neighbors. Don't come talk to me. Oh, I don't need, you don't need eggs. I don't need eggs. Go to the grocery store if you need eggs. But back in the day, if I remember correctly, we were sharing eggs, milk, sugar, flour. Maybe not chicken, but we were sharing some stuff. (laughs) Right? The church reflects exactly how our individualistic society is today. Don't tell nobody I got problems. I'm private that I got problems. I don't want nobody to know we broke. Hey, you're going to walk in this church and act right. Don't tell nobody you're hungry. I don't want nobody to know we're struggling with food. No, this is the exact place you should feel safe. This is a place where you should be like, man, how am I going to make it? And your accountability, your friend in Christ says, girl, I got you. Boy, I got you. Let's work this out together. The church got you. That's where this church should be. 
Now let me take it to the universal God eye view. Watch this. What happens if a church in the inner city in Sunnyside is doing some good work, but they're like, man, we just don't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of givers. What if another church said, hey, Sunnyside, we blessed with some money. Our budget is full. We're just making up ministries at this point. We got shoe shining ministry. We're just making stuff up. What if, say, hey, man, Sunnyside, y'all don't have to worry about your mortgage this month. We got you. That would mean the church would start being a church, wouldn't it? That means churches wouldn't start dying and buildings wouldn't start going away. That would mean that Sunnyside would be blessed because somebody else chose to be a blessing, right? And that would mean that non-believers would start seeing the proof. That non-believers would be like, wait a second, Jerusalem? And the church of Corinthians and Macedonia get down? I thought they would never be unified. But all of a sudden, they see in churches could unite the power of churches united with the sharing of resources. People in the non-believing community are like, how are they getting this work done? But you know, what, you know what I love about churches? We just sit there and argue about stuff. Take minimal stands on stuff that don't matter and non-essentials. Divide over the silliest things. Because you got a shoe shine in ministry and I don't. And then we don't unify. Satan is very good at making sure we stay with a lack of shared resource. Moving on. Because the proof given of, by this ministry, they will glorify God. But watch these words for your. What's this word? See, here's the thing we got to get to your feelings aren't really included. I just want to make sure you get this before I, I, I left the dot, dot, dot right after that so you can fill in your blank. Your feelings aren't included. It's your obedience. The problem when he says don't give it grudgingly is that some of our hearts got to start matching our obedience. And the only way for your heart to start matching your obedience, pay attention, is if your heart starts to change. The obedience should not. But the problem with American Christianity is we'll wait for our feelings to dictate us, and then we'll ask our obedience to catch up. How do I know that? Look at marriages. When she changes, I'll change. And God is saying, whoa, 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 you got to be obedient. Your feelings will catch up later. And the more you progressively sanctify yourself is the more you will be less and less begrudging in how you love your wife. Because guess what? Now I'm progressively getting closer to Christ. This little issue ain't an issue no more. Giving in the church changes when people grow spiritually. Because they'll start being obedient no matter what their finances look like. No matter what their feelings feel like. No matter what they think they should do. They start saying, God, you're the supplier. I'm close to you. I know what you've done in the past. You've been historically good to me. When I didn't have something, you had something. So therefore, I'll give freely. Not begrudgingly because I've grown spiritually. And people are like, hey, man, stop talking about giving. Stop preaching about giving. I get it. It's an uncomfortable spot. I'm uncomfortable right now. But I'll tell you this. If somebody's not going to teach you, how do you grow? We don't do that to our children. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to teach my kid not to shoot a gun at himself. No. What do you do? Hey, when you grow up, don't play with guns. Because you're trying to say, hey, man, you got to grow. In the same way the church should be. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. And we shouldn't be ashamed of the Word of God. Let me close with this. Watch here. It says, your obedience to your confession of the gospel. 
You see how it all tying together. If you go back all the way to Romans, what, is, what has Paul been frequently trying to do? Unify who? Jew and Gentile. Because now the Gentiles are invited to the gospel. But this is a beautiful opportunity for the Gentiles to show the world what it looks like when the gospel is larger than the difference. I wish this sermon could be preached to all churches of all ethnicities, all differences, all denominations, where people would start saying, hey man, the common good is bigger. The gospel is larger than the difference. Let's collect and help. That we could be doing so much more if we collected and helped. So we can supply the need, watch these words, of the saints and to all. So no saint should be without, and neither should the people around us. Because if anybody has it, it's Christians. If anybody has it, it's Christians. But as many times our faith is only tested when we have nothing. But he's telling the church of Corinth, I want to see where your faith is when you have prosperity. You know, people get the laziest when they have a lot. You would think people get the, they would try less when they had more adversity. Macedonia was already trying, even in adversity. It's the church that had a lot that he had to ask twice. Macedonia was like, hey, I'm good, let's go. Look at verse chapter 8. He's like, good, Macedonia. Hey, we're good. It's the rich Christians. It's the ones that have a lot. It's the ones that don't got no problems, can pay their mortgage, can pay their rent. That's the ones that are like, eh, I don't want to mess up my security. I hope you get this. This sermon was a hard one to preach. But I'll tell you this. How many of you go to different restaurants, right? You try different things. How do I know that? Because I'm now trying. But I can tell you this. The more I pay is the better the food should be. Once we cross over 20, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like once I see the 20, 20, 20, and everything on the menu is above 20, oh, we should be eating real meat. You should be, I should be able to select from the options available. It's not fries or fries. Once I cross over 20, the menu changes. Yeah? So when I order, I expect the quality when it lands on the table to be different. But some restaurants are tricky because the food is still trash, but the ambiance changed. You paying for the candles and the flowers. I'm like, fam, you can miss me with all the candles and the flowers if your steak ain't right. If I ask for medium rare, which is the only way to eat a steak, then you should be able to do medium rare. Don't tell me about the candle. But that's exactly what happens with God. God is saying, when you say, man, I'm, I'm 80 and above, but what I put on the table is 80 and up prices. The meat is different. But some of us treat God like he's an ambiance God. I only give because I want you to change my ambiance. I want you to change my environment. I want you to change my savings account. I don't care about the quality of the service. I don't care about the quality of the food. 
I'll eat whatever you put on this plate, but I want my ambiance to change. And God's like, you missed it. And that's what Christianity is doing today. Change my car, change my house, change this, change that. But I don't care about the quality of the sermon. I don't care about the quality of the service. I don't care about the quality of obedience. I just want my ambiance to change. So today, it's time for you to change. Because when God puts it on the plate, it's exactly what you give. It's time for us to get off the McDonald's menu of giving and recognize God as a supplier of what he puts on your plate. Let us pray.